0: Welcome to Volleyball State: A Look at College Volleyball in Six Rotations. I'm Jeff Sheldon, and I'm Lincoln Arneil. This week, the Pac-12 gets tipsy, the SEC goes hog wild, the ACC and Big Ten mostly goes chalk, and Lincoln, we are down to one undefeated team left in Division One college volleyball, and they reside right here in the 402. But first, a little podcast business. Hey, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, at volleyball pod. You can email the show. Keep sending in your segment ideas, your volleyball questions, your offers to sponsor the show and make us all filthy rich at volleyballstate at gmail.com. And also we are part of the podcast house media radio podcast empire. You can find all the great podcast house media shows at com, And if you want to get a hold of us individually and hit us up, uh, you can find me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon Lincoln. Where can the folks find you and all of the great work that you do covering college volleyball every week?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. And also you can read all the articles at Huskers Illustrated. I I'll also do quick little video recaps on the Huskers Illustrated channel on YouTube as well.
0: And you are a proud voter in the Volleyball Magazine media poll. When does that come out? When does that fully get compiled and and revealed every Monday?
1: Usually it drops about Monday, about 11 a.m. So I think the ABCA drops at 2 o'clock. You can get a jump on that. And uh, 11 o'clock is when Volleyball Mag releases theirs on their website or social media as well for them.
0: Maybe there's a little bit of mystery this week because of some upsets that happened across the country that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. We're also going to talk about, um, you know, spend plenty of time starting off with uh, Nebraska's two matches this weekend, but man, we have got a lot to get to and a lot of yes. different stuff to get to this week. We can tell everyone what, what our six rotations are today. Yep.
1: I followed the general format, but I feel like we're going to be back heavy. I know we, we spent a lot of time reviewing Nebraska and their opponents this week. Nebraska took on Maryland and Rutgers fairly unavailable eventful sweeps for there. Uh so we'll talk about that. Then we'll go around the Big Ten, see what's uh, kind of turmoil is happening and where the conference race stands now. Uh then we have a special guest in rotation three. Sue Marriott is a senior coordinating producer of remote events for the BTN. We had a great talk with her about what the BTN is doing to promote all of their television empire and kind of what goes into that and her history also working for Nebraska public media as well too rotation four, we will look at the chaos around the country, and we're going to do a little check-in with every kind of conference, give you a good picture on what the standings are there, and and, and some good standings, uh, what's going on in the rest of the Nebraska volleyball teams as well, too. And then we will wrap up, uh, go to rotation five. The NCAA Selection Committee released their second rankings on Sunday. We'll kind of go through a little uh, a dive into that, and then we'll wrap up looking ahead to Nebraska's upcoming matches. So, uh, a lot of stuff in there, we'll get through it as quick as possible. It was maybe a little bit lighter on Nebraska content than usual weeks, but we're going to start with Nebraska. Rotation one, uh, Nebraska took care of business. They swept Maryland at Rutgers at home, um, and started the second half of the Big Ten schedule very strong. We'll start Friday night. We'll get into Maryland. The Terrapins came here, and it was just a dominant performance. So, Jeff, what 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 was your takeaway from Maryland?
0: Yeah. Well, my takeaway for the entire weekend, which which kind of fits um, Maryland as well, is, you know, this was sort of the exhale weekend. It was the no emergencies, no surprises, um, no letdown uh, is what you were hoping for after the big win over Wisconsin last weekend. Uh it, it was absolutely that Nebraska took care of a pair of teams that you would expect them to sweep. I would have been shocked, actually, uh, if Nebraska had dropped a set and they really didn't come that close to doing it. In fact, the closest they came to doing it was uh, against Rutgers on yeah. Saturday and, and even then, um, there was, there was really nothing in doubt. So yeah, Nebraska dominated to Maryland sweeps them on Friday night. In fact, the latest point in any set that Nebraska trailed against Maryland was five to four in game one. So Nebraska pretty much handled Maryland, um, <clears throat> start to finish Huskers dominate all the stats, uh, out hit Maryland 349 to 023. I believe that is the. 10th team that Nebraska has held below 100 hitting on the season. The big star on Friday night was Harper Murray, freshman outside hitter. Um, doing, you know, kind of what you've come to expect from her, which is remarkable to say about a freshman led Nebraska with 16 kills and hit 433. Merritt Beeson steady as always with 10 kills. Um, the two pin hitters that, uh, you know, Nebraska puts out there and you expect to fill up the stat sheet Lincoln did on Friday night.
1: Yeah, and I would say Harper Murray, the one thing I take away from her, we talked to her after the game, and she said that she came out and really wanted to prove a point. She felt like she kind of left a little bit on the court against Wisconsin. And I mean, even though she was the hero of that fifth set, um, she felt like the first four was very subpar. So she wanted to come out, set a tone, be aggressive. And she really did. I think she swung with a lot of confidence and really kind of proved a point that, she she can be the, the the workhorse to kind of carry this Nebraska offense when they need her to.
0: Yeah, and she did uh against Maryland on Friday night. Not so much on Saturday against Rutgers, but we'll get into that match here. Uh, in just a bit, Bergen Riley also had a really good night against Maryland. Um, not only did she have thirty four assists but a team high ten dig so her back row defense who which we kind of circled at the start of the season was something that still needed to come along uh, seems like it's uh it 's getting better um, so uh, those three in um, in double figures the huskers i forget, i don't have the box score in front of me that anyone else reached double figures. I know the middles uh, had a good night even if they didn 't have a high volume night. Andy Jackson had a good night, I believe against Maryland and the huskers just kind of control things from start to finish.
1: Yeah, it was. That was the thing about these sweeps is it was so efficient that and Maryland was a little bit higher. When you only hit 023, you're giving up a lot of free points, which is taking points away from uh, Nebraska's attack that they don't need to score as much, too. So uh, they really. Took care of advantage. I mean, Mary Beeson had 10. Uh, Andy Jackson, like you said, did have, she had eight kills on 11 swings. So just a pedestrian 636 night from her. She had four blocks as well. <laughs> uh, Becca Alec had four kills on 10 swings. So not a lot of action from the, the middles, but they both had four blocks to kind of mm-hmm. contribute, contribute that way instead of with their, with, uh, on offense with their arms.
0: And then Nebraska gets to mix up the lineup a little bit on Saturday against Rutgers, give a couple more players um, than usual, some playing time. This was the get-right match for Allie Batenhorst, who struggled and hit negative against Maryland on Friday. Yeah. Batenhorst comes back on Saturday against the Scarlet Knights, uh, leads the Huskers with 13 kills, just one error, a career-high 545, she hits, and also added four blocks, so... Uh, Allie Batenhorst is kind of one of those high-ceiling and high or low-floor players. She Mm -hmm. she yo-yos back and forth, maybe more than any other player on this Nebraska team. But when she's on, man, she is on.
1: Yeah, and she made a point to say that she kind of worked with Bergen a little bit. Like you said, very uncharacteristic from her. I mean, one of those weird nights against Rutgers, she only had seven swings, which for a left-side pin hitter is just – I don't know if it's unheard of, but it's just – her rotations went through the front row quick and she had had two kills and four errors on those seven swings. So just an out of characteristic night. And I think we're she, talking about on Friday against on Mary, Friday night,
0: that was her night Yeah,
1: on, on Rutgers on Saturday night. She had two kills on the first six rallies. So I think they made it a point to feed her off and get her involved. And I think we, we, the end result was like the stat line. You said very mm-hmm. impressive and shows what she's capable of.
0: But once again, Merritt Beeson to the rescue, 12 kills hit a toasty 409 against the Scarlet Knights on Saturday. Andy Jackson, once again, a solid night with eight kills and six blocks. Uh, and then the Huskers also mixed up the lineup a little bit. Maggie Mendelson played, uh, on Saturday in place of Becca Alex or Becca Alec, excuse me, had four kills on five swings and added three blocks. Also, uh, Hayden Kubik, not really filling up the box score, but she got uh, a little bit of playing time. And it feels like every, every week we could go by and and not really make mention of Lexi Rodriguez just because she's so steady. And at this point, you just expect her to have a wonderful night. She had 13 digs against Rutgers and, uh, and had a really solid match as well.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't read too much into kind of the the shuffling of the starting lineups, too. I think after the game, Coach Cook said that he really wanted to give Mendelssohn a chance to start a match and finish a the match. They did this a couple of weeks ago on a Friday night match when Nebraska played Michigan State. They gave Mendelssohn the start and then brought Becca Alec in for the third and what turned out to be the fourth side as well, too. And I don't know. I don't know if maybe it's saving her legs a little bit. It's a long season. So but it's more preventative probably than anything to be worried about at this point too. So I I wouldn't read too much in that. And then Hayden Kubik came in. I think Nebraska would had 20 points when she came in. So just get her, get her some run late in the game, keep her fresh, keep her involved.
0: Well, I I wouldn't read anything to it from, from like an injury or a discipline perspective or anything. I think this is John Cook's, um, you know, effort to, to dig deep into his bench and kind of reward some of these players with playing time that, That practice really well and are, are important parts of the team, but just who don't always get a lot of run in, in some of the big matches. That's what you do against Rutgers. You volleyball is a weird sport. I've, I've tried to put this into words for a while that it doesn't have garbage time like basketball, like football. You can't build up a 20 point lead in the third quarter and then just play your reserves the whole second half in volleyball. Uh, garbage time can turn into a switch of momentum pretty quickly, which is why you usually see, um, reserves come in, you know, only after a set reaches 20 points. Points or so, but um, if you're gonna maybe experiment with the lineup and give some of your reserves more playing time, you do that on a weekend where you're playing Maryland and Rutgers. Yeah,
1: I mean, and sorry, I feel you feel bad for Hayden Cubic. She gets very little run, but she had a couple of hitting errors and then shank to serve and her garbage time at the at the end of one of those sets. Came to an end very quickly and Harper mm-hmm. Murray came in and finished things off. So r- rallies happen, but it's good to see those players get on the court too and kind of, uh, get some run and gets, get some experience mm-hmm. and stay fresh because you never know when Nebraska may need them, uh, whether injuries or just health reasons or they just need a change of pace and they're good at coming off the bench. So
0: the one bit of drama in the Rutgers match actually came in game one, uh, Rutgers and Nebraska tied 2020. So the first set is there for the taking before the Huskers kind of put the foot on the gas late in the set. Nebraska wins five of the last seven rallies. And that ended the drama because Nebraska got out to big leads in games two and three and rolled to the sweep. Um, I noticed that, uh, Bergen Riley is wearing like a, I don't know. It's, is it a sleeve if you're wearing it on your leg? It's a kind of a full length leg dressing on her left leg. Is that, yeah. um, I imagine that's not a fashion statement. What exactly no. is that about?
1: Uh, and I think, I mean, I, this is what Lauren, our guest, Lauren Cook West said, I listened to the radio and per Lauren Cook West mm-hmm. on the Husker radio network. She said that it was just. Again, just kind of precautionary, a little bit, a little bit of a minor injury, but not enough in, of an injury to make her miss any time. So I think they're just kind of managing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I, the first weekend. I, I've noticed that uh, she's she's worn that uh, as mm-hmm. well, too. So, I, again, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. She she looked good. She looked like the same old Bergen on the court. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't anything I thought was yeah. too big a deal.
0: I'm not concerned trolling when I say this, you you have a limited number of, I guess, concerns to talk about when a team is 21 and 0. But I mean, if you are looking for reasons to, or, or possible concerns about Nebraska, they're playing a lot of freshmen and, this has been a long year. All these freshmen got here in January. They went through spring practice. They had the spring match. Then they went to Brazil and played well, like, I forget how many badges, six matches in two weeks or, and, and they, played weeks. they played beach season. They played beach season before all of this too. Right. Uh, and then, you know, now you're 21 matches into uh, one of the tougher college schedules that any team in the country is going to play. So if you're going to hit that freshman wall, um, your, your body's going to maybe, start to break down a little bit. Right about now is kind of the time of year it would happen. I I don't know anything. Um, about that. I'm not talking about any specific injury that anyone has. It's just this is what you got to start keeping an eye on. And I'm I'm sure John Cook and his staff and Julian Emerson, the training staff are, you know, ha- have a finger on the pulse of what's going on exactly. But if you're going to start resting players, um, you know, you do it on a weekend like this. And I don't think you're going to do it with Bergen Riley unless you absolutely have to because you need that setter to make everything work. But you know, maybe just something to keep an eye on over the next couple of weekends is is how is everyone's health? We know that Lindsey Krause uh, is probably going to be out for at least another couple of weeks. Um, and in Nebraska, this, you know, this is a charm season they're having right now. They can't have any injuries sort of drag them back to the pack.
1: Yeah. And I think I even had a person on Twitter wanted to see Kennedy or set us, give a chance to set an offense for a while too. But I think that with Setter that that's, the quarterback. You want them to stay in there, keep the flow, mm-hmm. keep everything in rhythm. With hitters, you can mix and match a little bit too because uh, they're a little more interchangeable. So it's, I, I mean, like you said, it's not anything to be concerned about, but it's something to stick a pin in, see how this mm-hmm. weekend goes, and uh, this this was a weekend to do it. So
0: I want to get to your last question that you have here in the notes, and unless you had something else you wanted to get to first, no,
1: I was going to say you mentioned you mentioned the lead in that. Uh, uh, Nebraska is the only undefeated team left after this weekend too. Nebraska improved to 21 and 0, which is their, uh, best start since the 06 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 06 we,
0: season, let's we'll see that they, yeah, they lost to Colorado, which I feel like happened a couple times back then yeah. where they would have a great season, then go out to Boulder and lose in five. And that was the 06 team that uh, everyone thought was going to repeat as national champions and got stunned in the regional final against Cal. But, um, Nebraska's sure. 21 and 0. Yeah, so that team, gonna... that,
1: that team started 23 and so They got a couple more matches to go to catch that. Mm-hmm. So they and are then... the, un- they are the only undefeated team left because this weekend, the sadness to spread the Bulldogs of Citadel lost to Western Carolina in five sets. So it was, uh, it was. Sorry to see I was kind of falling. That happened the same time as uh, Nebraska was playing Rutgers. So the the magic run of Citadel.
0: If you talk to Lee stopped. Feinswong tomorrow, because um, I know you two are tight, like give him my condolences because I know he, was, he probably had the Citadel on the top five of his poll or something. He was so on the Citadel's bandwagon. But now Nebraska, the last unbeaten team in the country at 21-0. and 0. Um, I, I've read this a couple places. I think I've heard this on some radio segments, people asking – does nebraska need to lose a match just to release some kind of pressure um i think losing a match in almost every case is not as preferable as winning a match so i don't think you i I don't know that you carry it like a weight around you um I don't I'm not sure that that's what John Cook wants to do. This is a program that has always embraced expectations. This is the only program I have ever heard in any sport that openly talks about winning the national championship on the first day of the preseason and said we want to embrace these expectations. So, you know, I don't I, I don't know. I think losing a match um, is is not going to teach you as much as, you know, persevering and winning matches. But, hey, this is just one dude's opinion. Um, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I I also don't think it's a big deal. I mean, I think when you're undefeated, you garner a lot of attention and people want to be the team that knocks you off. That's Nebraska anyway, regardless of what their record is. They're getting every team's best shot. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter whether they're undefeated or have one or two losses. They'll I mean, they'll be tested. There'll be some... <laughs> Matches that are coming up here at Penn State uh, and then that last mm-hmm. week of the season at Wisconsin at Minnesota, if Nebraska makes it to that, they've earned it. Um I don't mm-hmm. think that I don't think that it's any extra pressure. There's pressure that they want to win the Big Ten and yeah. make a deep run. So I don't think that the undefeated record really adds anything to mm-hmm. what they're already dealing with and what they would be dealing with just being part of the Nebraska program.
0: Well, and I tell you this, Nebraska is going to need to go undefeated, I think, if they want to win the Big Ten, because I don't think Wisconsin's losing any more matches um, unless they uh, lose to Nebraska and uh, out in Madison on uh, uh the weekend after Thanksgiving. Because if Nebraska drops just one match in the Big Ten, then they're going to share the title with Wisconsin, I think, and... um you know, so it's kind of funny, like it's not like Nebraska is so far away from the rest of the field that a loss to to knock them from the ranks of the unbeaten yeah. um is just like a a moral victory for the team that beats them. Like Nebraska needs to keep winning because Wisconsin is going to keep winning. And if Nebraska wants that number one overall seed in the postseason and to win the Big Ten title, like every every win counts.
1: Yeah. So speaking of Wisconsin, let's uh Go on to our second rotation, talking about the Big Ten. Uh, and just to preview, Wisconsin had a great, great week. They took care of, uh, was, they took care of Minnesota today on Sunday. Uh, and what I'm excited to see what they look like, uh, there's numbers. They played on Big Fox today. So the, the Fox had a single NFL broadcast window and then, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin played after that. Some of that, one of those games that was on the early one was, uh, Green Bay Packers versus the Vikings. So, I'm going to see those numbers will drop off Tuesday, but Wisconsin took care of business. They to, to look at what the road they have ahead mm-hmm. next week. They they pay Purdue, Illinois, uh, Maryland, Penn State, Purdue, and Indiana before the last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, they have they have it, the top half of the Big Ten is coming up against Wisconsin. So they'll they'll have, they'll have some good tests. But there were a lot of upsets this week, Jeff. What uh, what caught mm-hmm. your eye around the Big Ten?
0: Well, uh the the one that, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked a little bit on this podcast how I basically had Illinois dead and buried. And, you know, I was confining them to the ranks of what the what, it, what's the NIT for volleyball? There's not it's not called the oh, NIT. There's another there's another tournament. It's the consolation it's, tournament that, that people don't really pay attention to. Yeah. Well, so since I ran my mouth about that, Illinois won five straight. And on Wednesday, they got a big win uh at home beating Indiana and the Indiana team that. I, th- I thought, at least going into this weekend was going to make the NCAA tournament. And now I'm not so sure. Um, it was, this was a match Lincoln uh, in. Illinois beating Indiana that reminded me a lot of Nebraska over Wisconsin because Indiana dominated the two sets that it won in Illinois squeezed out a pair of deuce games to force a fifth set but then they finished strong in the fifth uh, um, Raina Terry who feels like she's been at Illinois for about nine years now had 19 kills she's probably going to be your Big Ten player of the week on Monday I would guess because she had a big match again um, in, their, in their Saturday match keep an eye on this Nebraska goes out to Champaign oh wait excuse me this match is in Lincoln. Nebraska hosts Illinois on November twelfth, and and I thought that was going to be a breezy win. Now I'm not so sure. Illinois is getting some confidence. They've got some talent there. Raina Terry is a great player, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Chris Thomas I think is going to have them well prepared. And um, that's going to be an interesting match on November twelfth in Lincoln.
1: Yeah, and then it, Indiana. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Now I was going say, I did Peter you the know, talent, Brooke Mosher was an outside hitter for him last year. I think on the all Big Ten freshman team and then transitioned back to her recruited position of setter. And she's kind of, I think, settling in now and is playing a big part of this run that they've had lately. But Indiana, they also <sighs> dropped the bag a little bit. What would, would, would they fall off?
0: Right, exactly. So. It- Indiana loses in five on Wednesday night to Illinois. Turns around, and loses again in five to Northwestern. And this is a Northwestern team that does not have Julia Sangiacomo um, back yet. You know, she was sat out the Nebraska match too. From what I'm told, she has sort of a chronic, whether it's a knee or a lower leg injury that that has been keeping her out. Still, uh, Northwestern hits 259, and they beat this Indiana team that looked like it was pointed up toward the NCAA tournament.
1: Yeah, and just again, just two five-set losses that you really can go either way. They weren't really statistically dominated, but they just didn't get done. And the mm-hmm. one thing that stood out to me in both matches, uh, the first major conference player of the year to accomplish that, uh, Cameron Hayworth got a triple-double, which any other week where she may be mm-hmm. Big Ten setter of the week but the team went zero and two and and can you can you really give it to that i mean she had right 50 assists in both matches she had 13 kills 10 digs against illinois 10 kills 10 digs against northwestern
0: yeah indiana you know if they don't make the ncaa tournament this year they will have wasted an excellent season from their setter cameron hayworth um usually the big 10 weekly awards do not go to a player uh, on a team who lost both of their matches although this is as strong of an argument Probably as you could make under those circumstances, um, Indiana drops both their matches this weekend. And now they're probably firmly on uh, on the bubble in the NCAA tournament. Uh, big upset that happened in the in the, the Big Ten this week. Michigan State goes out to Happy Valley. Oh, no, wait. This is an East Lansing. I'm sorry. I keep having these uh, these locations wrong. Bottom line, Michigan State upsets Penn State in five. Uh, Michigan State's great freshman, Taylor Holdem, had 12 kills to lead Michigan State. Not a big number when you look at a five set win. Um, Mm -hmm. but this was, this seemed like it was kind of an ugly match. Just looking at the box score, of course, the standout for Penn State as that has been all year, Jess Maruzik, the Michigan transfer had 19 kills, but. Penn State has turned into kind of a one trick pony this year, Lincoln. If you look wow. at their numbers, just, it's Jess music and then it's everyone else. She has 130 more kills than any other Penn State player. Um, she had a lot against Nebraska, but it wasn't enough to stop Nebraska from sweeping them when they played a couple of weeks ago. And, and I just don't know if she can carry Penn State to, to any more big wins this year.
1: Yeah. And you look at, I mean, the teams that are, re- are relying, there's several teams in the Big Ten that are like that. I mean, Penn State has like that too. Um, Illinois, Lorena Terry is kind of a little bit of, of of that, too, and they had some struggles as well. Um, and then uh, Ohio State with Emily Londa, that's her show, too, and they've just mm-hmm. floundered Greatly, uh, they lost on Sunday to Michigan, which is just not, uh, Michigan's, that's Michigan's second Big Ten win mm-hmm. of the season. So they're, they're struggling as well, too. But I, was I actually say, think
0: Muruzik and London are both in the top 10 in the country in yeah. kills per set and neither of their teams are really doing anything, uh, all that special.
1: I was going to say the, I, I was able to, I watched a little bit of the ending of the Michigan State Penn State, uh, fifth set and it was just a wild finish too. Michigan State was up 13 to nine, uh, and then, Penn State went on a seven to one run. They had match point up 15, 14. Thought, thought they won it, but then I don't, know, I forget who made the call, but there was, they, the hit went out, but there was a late touch call that on the core, a touch call. So Penn State players started to run out of the core, then realized, oh, wait, we didn't get that point. They run back off. It's tied. I think they trade points. Um, there was a replay review in there too that saved Michigan State as well. And then they have winning the last two points of the set to, uh, to end up win that one, uh, 18, 16, I think the fifth set. So they, yeah. uh, it was just wild finish and Penn State thought they
0: had it, did not. So. Yeah. And, and I, I'm sorry, Lincoln, I messed this up too. When we were talking about Illinois a little while ago, the big upset that Illinois had this weekend, they come back on Saturday and upset Purdue, who's ranked 16th in the country and for Raina Terry, 19 more kills in that match. So, um, you know, that's probably your Big 10 player of the week. I would imagine, uh, the Illinois outside hitter and Nebraska going to have, uh, their hands full with Raina Terry, um, on November 12th. The other match that was on Big Fox this weekend and you'll hear Sue Marriott talk about this in our, our, rotation three chat just how important those football lead-ins are for volleyball um michigan takes down ohio state in four so ohio state's season of struggle kind of continues kendall murray harper murray's big sister leads the wolverines with 19 kills to overcome emily long who got 20 kills for ohio state um a pretty even match statistically it looks like lincoln but michigan gets their second win uh of the big 10 season
1: yeah. big, I mean, good, good for Michigan. I, I think, I don't know if this is because we talked to Aaron Virtue was gone kind of in the late mm-hmm. non conference. She had to, was, was coaching with the national team, whether now that she's had a month with them that they're, I mean, they, they've taken some sets off some good teams and really kind of pushed a lot of teams that maybe they're kind of, it's starting to click for them now that she's had a long, longer stretch with them. But the other team that I thought was their prove it week uh, was Minnesota. They, uh, they had matches against Purdue and Wisconsin, and Minnesota is one of those teams. That are clinging on, trying to get things turned around to see if they can mm-hmm. get the postseason. uh it did not go well for them. They got swept on Thursday by Purdue uh they forced extra points the first set, but Purdue hit three ninety even Eva Hudson had nineteen kills and then just put the hammer down on that third uh third set and Purdue hit five forty eight um to without really a to, hitting without error in a hit. so they just so. took care of business and then Wisconsin took care of business uh they had a they had 340 something against minnesota today so just the things aren't clicking for minnesota and they're just again they're they're six and um they're six and six in the big 10 so it's it, they're they're right firmly in the middle pack but with the non-conference mm-hmm. they had they need to be they need to be higher yeah. up to give themselves so- a
0: chance I mean, Minnesota is going to be right there on the bubble of the tournament too. They might even, at this point, you could probably say that Minnesota is on the outside looking in. So here's your Big Ten standings right now. Uh, pretty tightly bunched at the top. Huskers still lead, uh, the Big Ten at 12 and 0, Wisconsin one game back at 11 and 1, two games behind them. Uh, Penn States at nine and three, produce at eight and four. Those are your top four. And after, you know, we we had consigned them to the bottom of the big ten standings of the bottom half. Illinois is lurking at seven and five in fifth place. I think their their schedule probably gets a little bit tougher down the stretch um, with a match against Nebraska. Um, but you know, kudos to Illinois for for turning it around and at least giving their fans a couple weeks of a feel good season.
1: Yeah, and then our darling Indiana's, uh, the group behind us, three teams tied at six and six. So with Minnesota, and Michigan State, they're struggling there and then a further drop off after that, too. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, as we get to the second half, there's a lot of movement that will happen. Hopefully this is where teams make or break and kind of make the push of the postseason. But four, maybe five bids out of the league this year is all I think that, mm-hmm. that can be expected.
0: So we we talked a little bit ago about a couple of matches um, happening on on Big Fox, Fox over the air broadcast television uh, right after the NFL games um on Sunday. That is probably going to break the record just by the virtue of having a football lead in and placing it on over the air uh, TV. That's just more accessible to more people. That's probably going to break the regular season television record. We'll get those numbers, I would imagine, on Monday, Who's but dead? just the. Tuesday, then Tuesday drop. I, I, we have had so much discussion this year about the growth of the sport, what the sport is as a television product. We have attendance records falling all over the place. And so we thought it would be interesting to speak with someone in the television business about how television continues to grow around the sport of volleyball, how volleyball broadcasts continue to evolve, and kind of what's next for volleyball and the medium of television. And so we got a great insight from Sue Marriott, the pride of Walt Hill, Nebraska, up in Northeast Nebraska, who spent uh, the early part of her career working for NET, or now known as Nebraska Public Media, an early hand in growing the sport statewide in Nebraska before going to work for BTN, and now she continues to shape BTN's television coverage as a coordinating producer of remote events. So here is our Rotation 3 chat with Sue Marriott of Big Ten Network.
1: And we move on to Rotation 3 with our special guest this week. We are here talking with Sue Marriott, who is a senior coordinating producer of remote events with BTN. Sue, uh, glad you could join us and uh, thanks for being here today.
2: Thanks, Lincoln. Thanks, Jeff. Good to talk to
1: you guys. John Cook kind of mentioned that you're very instrumental in the growth of volleyball at BTN too. So uh, you work for a lot of sports. I mean, does volleyball have a special place in your heart and kind of how did that come to be?
2: Uh, Well, first of all, I need to send John a fruit basket because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, there's a lot of people involved in the success of volleyball and, and both at NET and at BTN for me. Yeah. It started at NET. I, I worked there for 20 years. Um, I started in 1995 on the camera crew um, shooting Terry Pettit's games uh, at the Coliseum and uh, within a year or so was moving into uh other roles within NET and climbed into producing yeah volleyball absolutely holds a special place in my heart because of those days at NET and um you know just how many games we covered there and and how important it was to the state and uh you know I myself learned a lot about the sport from John and and from the other coaches there and so Yeah, it's I think I also got to see what was possible and I saw the interest in the state of Nebraska and I knew this was something special. And so, yeah, when I got the opportunity at BTN, you know, my hope was that I could kind of carry that over into the national network and show that, hey, this this sports has an audience.
0: So I, from what I can tell, there were only a couple of places in the country that were even broadcasting volleyball back in the 1990s. NET was certainly one of them. Maybe out in Hawaii, they were doing uh, local matches as well. If you started in the mid 90s, were you doing camera crew for like that 96 match against Penn State and in the, in the NCAA regionals? You got Bill Dolman on the call. Like that's the very first Nebraska volleyball broadcast that might even be available out there still up on YouTube.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I, I did work with Bill. And yeah, that, uh, that that was the other interesting thing about NET is that um, when the national networks came in, we had the opportunity to freelance and, you know, kind of expand, I guess, our careers a little bit. And, you know, we learned a lot and I think brought that back to those NET broadcasts.
0: Obviously, the technology that is available and the the video quality and everything is way different now than it was in the late 1980s or early 90s. But are the ways that volleyball is broadcast and you set up a broadcast all that different now than the ways that they were first set up kind of back in the 80s and 90s? Or what have some of the big evolutions been in, in how you produce this sport and you show it to people at home?
2: It's It's an interesting question because really, as far as the camera angles and things like that, not a whole lot has changed. It's been a big debate though about the camera angles because i think coaches and people who really understand the sport would argue that it should be shot from the end zone so that you can kind of see the formation see the defensive gaps see these other things uh i'm I'm not one of
0: those people i hate it i hate the (laughs) inline view it's it's
2: it's a highly highly debated topic and but i will tell you and and this sort of it's it's this ties into really part of how i came to Come or came to get the job at BTN. I was in 20, 2015, summer of 2015. I was in Omaha for an ABCA broadcast symposium that mm-hmm. they had and they were pulling together all of these networks to talk about how should we broadcast volleyball. And so they had people from ESPN, Longhorn network. I, I was very proud that they brought NET into that and that we were part of that conversation. And so you had all of these. FIVB people, all the, it was a really interesting room. There were some coaches in the room. And of course, most of the people, most of the coaches, everybody thought in line, it's gotta be on the inline, And the TV people were kind of arguing against it because the regular fan doesn't see it that way. They don't necessarily understand it. So we were all going over to um, CenturyLink or whatever that was called at that point uh, to go see the FIVB match that night. And I think it was a general admission seating. And I said to them, I said, when we get in there, I said, watch, because we got there early. I said, watch and see how the seats fill in, because mm-hmm. that's going to tell you how people watch. And everybody went to the center. So it, it sort of ended the debate on how people, and I, I understand there's another argument. Well, if we start showing it from the end zone, maybe then they'll, you know, it'll it'll teach them how to watch it. I, I just think you get blocked on certain things that you can't mm-hmm. see.
0: It's like the all 22 view in football, like coaches and hardcores love the all 22 view so they can watch from the end zone. But as you bring people into the sport and you're trying to educate them from a zero level to like a one on one level, it feels like. The basketball view, right, the sideline view is just the easiest way to teach them the sport. And then if you get hardcore into it, you go to to certain specific angles on specific points.
2: Right. And that's and that's something I talk to our guys about all the time is that, you know, one of our first replay looks always needs to be in zone or slash. We've got to go to that other look. Um, The other thing that we need to get to, it's just it's always money is the high frame rate cameras Um, so that on super slow-mo, you go up on those touch calls, you can see the finger bend back, you can see And, you know, we just we don't have that right now because it's it's so expensive. And when you think about networks like ours doing, you know, 56 games a year, we've got multiple production trucks out. So to outfit all of those production trucks with high frame rate cameras, it's just, its it, we're just not there yet. The prices have yeah. to come down on some of this equipment. I'd be interested in your guys's take on this because I had a big debate with some of our producers on if we can have super slow-mo and we get it on which camera, one camera, what would you put it on? Mm. And and while I think the handheld is sexy and you get some great looks off of that, for me, I said it's got to be in zone or slash so we can see those touch calls and we can try to minimize the time on these challenges. Cause yeah. I think if anything's killing volleyball, it's these long challenges and we've got to get the time down on those. I th-
1: I'd say definitely it's the it's something that's the net where you can see like it's the touch calls that needs the super slow mode, the end line, the kind of the in outs. I don't, you don't need that not enough precise uh precise precision camera frame. And officials
0: get those calls. I would say in and out, right. Most of the time, you know, we all kind of clown on officials a little bit, but it's the micro touches that are way harder to see.
2: They're so, they're so difficult. And I, I have, I have long conversations with Marshall Alderman who's um, head of big 10 officials and they, they, they genuinely want to get this right, you know, and and um, I think one of the big things that I'm trying to push them on is because they have their DV sport looks and then they have our TV looks when TV is there. And I'm trying to kind of retrain them to look at the TV looks first because I think ours are better. And especially now that we do have at least one super slow-mo look, generally we're going to hit that within the first two replays and hopefully it'll show it and you can have a 30 second review and get everybody out playing again.
1: This week we kind of the big news and broadcast was, I mean, Nebraska, Wisconsin set a new regular season record on Saturday night too. But I think as as part of that too, they also said that viewership is up 13% across all volleyball broadcasts too. I mean, is this part of a continuing trend that you've seen over the last few years of volleyball or is this, a, I don't know, 13% the spike or is this a spike kind of for this season that just is a culmination of a number of factors?
2: I think it's both. I, I definitely think we're we're on an upward trend, and the volleyball growth year over year has been pretty consistent over the last five years. Part of that has to do. I'm going to have to give. Big props to Michael Calderon in our programming department because he's been really strategic about where he programs volleyball and where he puts those games. And I'm I'm going to tell you guys, this wasn't an easy conversation with some of the coaches because, you know, asking them to move the times or go up against football to to play. Think about this, playing on primetime Saturday football night. Five years ago, we would have got laughed out of the room with that what we've done the last couple of years was we had some volleyball matches following football and the football lead in obviously is, is great because we are carrying in some of that audience. And I still, I had, I remember at one of the coaches meetings that we had at the big 10 conference. And I looked at John cook and I said, "I, I know you wanted to move to spring. I know you saw football as sort of like, you know, your, your enemy as far as programming, as far as like your competition, I said, I need you to see football as your ally. Mm-hmm. Because with having that football lead in and pushing that audience into volleyball, I said, it, it's we, we're seeing it in the numbers. And and the props I gave to the Big Ten coaches was the other thing we're seeing, because we, we can see minute by minute on the Nielsen ratings is they're staying.
1: There's a very big discussion point this week, too, because volleyball actually outdrew football this past weekend, too, which eh, take for that. There's a lot of factors going in there too. But one of the other new windows this year, I think, was that Sunday night window. Um, I know there's been a couple they tried that out on Nebraska played Kentucky and Minnesota that Sunday night. There's a lot of more potential, do you think, on that Sunday, whether it's an evening or afternoon window?
2: Yeah, I th- I think Personally, I think the evening window might be better for us. I, I don't, I think Sunday afternoons are tough. I feel like people are, are still kind of in their weekend trying to get their stuff done and errands and whatever. So yeah, the diehard fans for those teams are going to, are going to tune in, but catching those new fans, I don't know that we're going to get them. I, that's my personal opinion. And again, you know, I I'd sort of defer to Michael on this because he's really the mastermind on this programming stuff. And he looks at so many different things as he's, as he's doing these schedules, but, but it's been, it's been a good window. Um, and, and anytime you make a change, it's hard. You got to convince the coaches because we're all creatures of habit, right? You know, so, Mm -hmm. so they're used to their normal spot and, and when that gets shook up, but it's a pretty easy sell when these numbers are coming in to say, guys, you know, this is working guys and gals, this is working.
0: What I hope everyone considers, if we're going to talk about more Sunday night, windows is that that's usually when Lincoln and I record this show. And so that really <laughs> screws us. We're going to be ending up editing this show at midnight. If, uh, if we're playing lots of Sunday night matches, you
2: if know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Tony Petit this afternoon and just let him know it's not going to work then. Yeah. Just, it's like, just as mind, like
0: <laughs> 5 PM start max. You're Cause I got to sure. put kids to bed. I got to edit this show. Um But <laughs> seriously, you know, as, as viewership continues to grow for this sport and, and we, we all assume that it will, it's really, it's a TV friendly sport. How do broadcast how, how do you think broadcasts are going to evolve? Because the way the basketball and football were broadcast and, and some of the content in the game has changed dramatically from the 1960s and 70s to to now and advanced stats, things like that. What are some things that you're considering adding to the broadcast in the future to better educate or engage fans during a match?
2: Well, like my wish list is is always going to be I I, you know, I always want to add a camera, but I think. Number one is I, I want to see what can we do or is there different types of technology out there to get us to those high frame rate cameras or to get us to different looks like that match at Nebraska on Wednesday. We were able to take an overhead look from Husker vision. I love that look because um, I think on replays, that's that's another great angle. Just again, to show gaps in coverage and and show how how everybody was lining up on the court. The other thing for me is just outside of the game coverage is continuing to do more storytelling. That's, that's always been something that's been really, really important to me. It started at NET.
0: One of the other things I think of too is, you know, I've watched volleyball on TV for a long time now, and I know you're still bringing along the, the people who are just coming to the sport. There are some national broadcasts where every time I watch, you know, that in the first set, the play-by-play announcer is going to remind people that scoring format, you know, it's rally scoring, it goes the first four sets go to 25, the fifth set goes to 15. One thing I've started seeing in some of the final four matches is is more statistics being thrown in by rotation and kind of educating people that hey, you've got actually six mini games that are happening within the wider view of this sport. Are there things that you're working with your on-air talent about um, just to, to kind of work in to, to better educate fans over the course of a broadcast beyond what they see visually from the cameras?
2: Yeah, that's, that's something that we're trying to get um, just more resources and working with groups like volley metrics um, where you can get these deeper statistics into these matches and not just what stat broadcast is giving us in game. Those really, those are the same numbers that coaches are looking at when they go in and break down and do their game film, you know, yeah. that's, they're looking at and so we want to get to that point with the announcers um and you're right the the teaching part of this it's a little bit of a dance because you don't you want to bring on the new viewers and you don't want to alienate those diehard fans that that really know the sport and we've got a lot of them in the big 10 and i'm proud of how many of them we have but i think they do understand i hope they understand that's what we're doing when you said like you said uh, teaching the scoring teaching whatever it's it's a mention i i um, Raynell Jones came on with us this year and I said, look, some of these things that, you know, when you when you talk about tooling the block, you know, I said, sometimes I want you to explain that, you know, once or twice per game and then, you know, get back to it. And she kind of rolled her eyes and I said, I understand. But I said, there's some new people watching that don't understand what that phrase means. And so there were just different phrases like that that I said, you yeah, know, once or twice match. Drop it and then, and then we can get back to the other stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that there are a lot of the analysts, especially our former players. Um, I mean, is volleyball a sport that's hard to find play by play announcers for?
2: Uh, Look, I think every sport presents its challenges in that you can, you can tap players that maybe were the best players uh, that played the game, but they're not necessarily good broadcasters. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you get the unicorns that are. I've, I think we were always chasing that we were always chasing, like we've got to get, and, and we still are, and we're still going to try out those, those top players, but now we're opening it up and looking at other players that maybe weren't the superstars. I mean, and I don't think Emily will be upset that I say this, like I think Emily Eman's a perfect example of this. She played at Northwestern, Um, you know, at the time, you know, the program, it it was at the bottom of the big 10, a decent player, but By Big Ten standards, not a superstar, but I think what she's done as far as broadcasting volleyball is incredible. I mean, she's really elevated the sport she's made and she's there's not many analysts that can make a full time career out of one sport. And Emily's Mm -hmm. done that.
0: You have a great model to to set up uh, and, and broadcast a volleyball match from inside an arena, whether it's a large basketball arena or a smaller intimate arena. Kind of the model exists. But what were the challenges for, for setting up a different model and broadcasting the volleyball day in a Nebraska match outdoors in a football stadium?
2: Yeah, I think that match went off as well as it could have. I think the only issue I had, and I don't even know if viewers noticed it, Because of where they set the court, there was a glare on the left side of the court. And that was the only problem really, you know, the setup wise, we've obviously been in Memorial Stadium. We had to work with the folks at at Nebraska Athletics very, very early on um, to get our camera positions blocked out because, you know, once they opened up those tickets, there was no going back. I can't say enough about the Nebraska uh, Athletics people and the facilities team and ticket to everybody. I don't know that we could have pulled that off somewhere else. I mean, we obviously did it with women's basketball at Iowa, you know, a few mm-hmm. weeks later, but the the magnitude of of what was done at Memorial Stadium that night and the number of people and the logistics that went in that was was really an awesome feat for for Nebraska and I I, I Send an email out to a lot of those folks afterwards, and said, "I hope you're able to really take a breath and and pat yourself on the back for what you guys did because it was magnificent."
1: For Sure. Uh, you because I said earlier that you and uh, John Cook felt like you kind of grew up together too. I mean, do you have did you, uh, do, you have, do you have any fun stories about young young John Cook or kind of what you the battles you've been through and kind of growing the sport and seeing things change over the years?
2: I think for me, I think people when they first meet Coach Cook. Um, they don't know what to think of him because he, you know, he, I will say this, I think in the last couple of years, he's changed a little bit, you know, John Cook, Grandpa
0: Cook now, Grandpa,
2: Grandpa Cook, exactly, Cowboy John, cowboy, John, um, you know, he's a little bit lighter now. I think, mm-hmm. I think cowboy life, uh, suits him. I think, I think it's been a really, I just. I just feel like he's like less stressed and, and, you know, just, I, I, I feel like his health is probably better. He just seems happier right now. And, and I, I'm, I'm really, I'm glad he's found that balance because I think he needed it. Um, it was something, you know, we'll get to this. I know in a minute with the, um, the documentary that our team just did on Nebraska volleyball, but there's a segment in it with Terry Pettit talking about why he stepped away. And he talked about the burden and, I'm just happy John didn't ever get to that point. He figured something out to give him that balance. I, I at the beginning was terrified of coach cook. I wasn't sure, you know, I thought he hated me. I didn't think, you know, cause he's pretty quiet. And I think he t- takes a little while to, to get his trust and to show him that you're invested in, and you really are there, f- you know, for volleyball for that team and to promote them. And once he realizes that you're all in, then he's all in with you. And so I think I, once I got to that point with him, we were, we were golden. but those first, that, that first little bit, I was like, boy, I don't know if this guy likes me. I'm not, I'm not too sure about this.
0: Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah. I think that's same from the media side too. He, he makes you prove yourself and uh, know that you uh, show that you know what you're talking about and kind of build that up too. But uh, you, you mentioned kind of the storytelling and you hinted at this feature. I believe this is airing um, on Friday November 3rd big production coming out with the kind of a documentary about the bigger picture of Nebraska volleyball I also hear you have some really great interview uh, subjects in there too I mean uh, just outstanding media perspective provided in that documentary so w- what is kind of the impetus behind that and what sell us on this program not that Nebraska fans need to be sold on it but why should they watch this
2: well Nebraska fans should just be really happy with what they've built um, with with this Nebraska volleyball program, because while certainly Terry Pettit and John Cook had an enormous hand in this, the fan base is sort of, you know, the third tent pole um, as far as this program. And so I think they need to watch it for that reason. But I think, I think for non-Nebraska fans, I think they need to watch it to understand because I think everybody's scratching their head, looking at this Nebraska program and going, how did they get 93,000 people to come to a volleyball match that, you know, was, frankly a eh, match you know mm-hmm. in in 90 degree weather you know how did they how did they make that happen and i think a big part of what this documentary does is is it explains why nebraska has got this huge fan base and how this this fan base was built over decades you know over many many years and this wasn't just a light switch moment of oh okay husker, Volley- husker volleyball has been good for a long time so so this this ramp up to this ninety three thousand people filling a football stadium, it took some time and it took vision. And so I think that's what this documentary does and, and explains.
0: Uh, once again, that's this Friday, November 3rd uh, is when this is going to air on BTN. Yeah.
2: So it's going to follow it's going to follow the Penn State Nebraska match. So good. So settle in popcorn big
0: night of volleyball that night. We'll look forward to it. And Sue Marriott, Senior Coordinating Producer at Big Ten Network, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been great, and we really appreciate your insights.
2: Thanks, guys. I appreciate everything you guys do, too, too, and not just in Nebraska, but you guys are helping grow the sport nationally as well. I hope you you realize that, and it's a feather in your cap as well.
0: Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it.
1: And thanks again for Sue Marriott. It was a great conversation about uh, what Is happening in the television world again. Remember to tune in uh, Friday night to listen and watch the BTN uh, documentary about uh, Nebraska volleyball with some great, great interview subjects, as if I do say so. You know.
0: I didn't get this until I was listening back to the interview segment and I totally spaced this when it was happening, but clearly you're in this, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, they, that's they, what all the they, winks and the nods are about.
1: <laughs> I should be not as subtle. Yeah. I'll be on that. I don't know how much of my interviews they will use, but you can just see what I look like and hear what I talk like more. So
0: Excellent. I, I will have to tune in or record it. You know, if I'm putting kids to bed,
1: I unfortunately have to record it. Cause I'll be writing about Penn, the Penn state match during that. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, we'll go and move on to rotation four. We'll take a look around the country. Uh, a lot of upsets. We'll kind of do break this down and we'll do it conference by conference and kind of see what each conference stands kind of a well, little, little. Past halfway point of the uh, conference schedule. Yeah,
0: it's so. a good time. It's a good time of the year with about a month left in the regular season to sort of check in on the national landscape, maybe a little bit more than we than we have the last couple of weeks. And Lincoln, does it seem like there's just volleyball every night of the week now? You could start watching yeah. matches on like Tuesday and go all the way through like Sunday evening and just watch yeah. volleyball all the time.
1: Or if you're really a sicko, I believe there's some uh, smaller conferences that have uh, that play Monday m- Monday nights. But yes, you can almost every single night night especially now that the big 12 is going a lot of theirs are going thursday friday so they get the thursday night matches big 10 is always on uh, wednesday night and there's some some tuesday night matches as well too so you could get volleyball if you really want six six nights a week on on uh, espn plus or whatever your uh, Mm -hmm. streaming service of choice is that's right we'll start with the big 12 start with the big 12 uh let's the big match kind of happened this. Uh, Texas looked like they were in danger uh, against Baylor. They hosted Baylor for two games. On Thursday night, They Baylor took the first two, but Texas... Did Texas and did a reverse sweep, protected that home court. They haven't lost there and I don't know if it's been a decade, but they haven't lost in Austin in a long, long time. Uh they in, the, in
0: the regular season, because yeah. it was just a couple years ago when Nebraska knocked him off in that regional yeah. final.
1: Touche, yes. Yeah. They haven't lost to a Big Twelve opponent in a long time at at the in Gregory gym too. Uh they said mm-hmm. they they cleaned up a lot of their mistakes. Uh they had six errors over the final three sets too. So Maddie Skinner led the charge with twenty-two kills. Jenna Wennis had twenty kills. Uh, they both had 57 swings. So they really kind of cleaned up the problems of passing and their attack and just really <laughs> took care of business.
0: This, this is Texas in a nutshell, from what I always remember. It's like when in doubt, just throw it up to the pins and count on your superior pin talent to win matches. Uh, I remember Jared Elliott, Elliott telling me about that. And he's like, yeah, man, like th- this is a game that's won out on the pins, So we're just going to keep sending the ball out there. Maddie Skinner is, have I think, if she doesn't lead the nation in kills, uh, she's in the top five, I think. 22 Kills for her. Jenna Wenis, the Minnesota transfer, having a great year, and yeah, those two combined for 114 swings in a five-set match uh, against Baylor. They turn around the next night and and don't have quite the drama. Texas ends up beating Baylor again, and, and Texas is in control of the Big 12. They lead it by three games.
1: Yeah, but the other big drama that happened that kind of also helped Texas take such a d- commanding lead as Kansas State uh, welcomed the BYU to Manhattan and. Kansas State just Took it two of the Cougars. I don't know. It was a, uh, it was a trip gone bad. They were very happy to get out of Manhattan. The first night it was, it wasn't even close. It was 18, 16, 19. So mm-hmm. it, Kansas State was never in trouble. Uh, it was their first home win in th- that brand new arena that I, I got to go visit earlier. Uh, but it was their first win in any arena in Manhattan, uh, in 20 years since they beat Nebraska in 2003.
0: were oh, a top 10 team. Yeah. Top 10
1: team. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, they, they uh, said, uh, I mean, they outhid BYU 382-075, to and then local Nebraska Elmwood Murdoch product uh, Brenna Schmidt uh, had two kills and two blocks, so I hope contribute to that too. And then they did it again the next night. Oh, they used up all their excitement and energy, but Kansas State came back and swept BYU again on Friday night too.
0: I wonder when the last time a top 10 team uh, went winless in sets on a weekend was, got swept on back-to-back matches, Against an unranked team. Yeah. So it's not like BYU was playing another top 10 team. They were playing, you know, I can't say solid, but they're unranked. Um, maybe they're going to sneak in the poll this week. But to to go into Manhattan and not win a set in two matches, uh, that's uh, that's a head scratcher for the Cougars, who is a, are a wonderful program.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that that kind of really opens up the uh, Big Ten, uh, Big Twelve schedule for Texas. They've played all the top, the top contenders. They should have a fairly easy road home over the next mm-hmm. month. So, Texas, it's- your Big Twelve champion.
0: Again, uh, it, it is still neck and neck in the ACC. Louisville and Pitt are both tied atop the standings at 11 and one. Georgia Tech and Florida State are both one game back. So that's a race that still has a lot of drama left in it. Four teams within, um, one game of the lead and all of these top teams play each other down the stretch, right? So we've got Louisville will play. Pitt again. They still have to play Georgia Tech twice. Um, Pitt also is going to play Georgia Tech twice, Louisville once. And then Florida State uh, has kind of gone through the meat of their schedule, right? According to these notes that I imagine you put down there. I don't remember typing this, yes. but they've only got Pitt left. So the ACC is going to come down to the final two or three weeks of the season.
1: Yeah, it's they all. Played on this weekend and on Sunday they took care of uh, other ACC opponents. No drama there. They all, mm-hmm. all had sweeps. So uh, and I really think everyone's circling that Louisville pit. That'll kind of be the decider. Mm-hmm. But
0: that's but, at Pitt, right? Because that's, yes, I want to say the first match was in Louisville.
1: Louisville already won in Louisville. They played at the uh, the Yum Center, I believe, or whatever mm-hmm. it's called, and had a had a fairly sizable crowd, too. That was pretty cool. So we'll see what uh, they have on the return trip and Pitt.
0: And and not only does this have to do with uh, the implications of winning the ACC championship, there's probably a, a maybe a top four national seed wrapped up in this. Because if you assume that Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Stanford are probably going to grab three of those four seeds, um, then that leaves one left, and the winner of Louisville, Pitt, whoever wins the ACC, is probably going to have a pretty good claim for that.
1: Yeah. And I think event also, too, you throw Texas in there, too. They're kind of on the outside fringes of a top four seed if they keep winning and other teams beat mm-hmm. up on each other. But I think out of those five teams, we're likely to get for the top four seeds and um, depending on what happens.
0: So, yeah, there's we, a lot of uh, and we're going to run through the the NCAA's uh, recently released post or top 10 seeds. Um is that what they call it or they just call it top 10 regular season ranking? We've got so many rankings yeah. out there. But the ones that came out on Sunday afternoon and were basically obsolete about 20 minutes later, we're still going to go through them um, sure. because they're going to hold for at least a couple of weeks. We look down at the SEC. This is a fun conference as well. Both Arkansas and Kentucky are nine and one um, and atop the SEC standings, Kentucky, you know, we saw them roll into Lincoln and, and get trounced pretty good. Kentucky, uh, they, Nebraska won in four, but, but, you know, they controlled that match. Kentucky was two and six in non-conference play going into the start of SEC play. They've turned it around. They're nine and one in the league. They could still win the SEC because Florida's having a down year, but you know, it's, it's Arkansas and it's Kentucky right now.
1: Yeah. And Tennessee is nine and two. So they're a half game back of Kentucky. They, they do. The SEC schedule is weird too. Well, they will have some teams that only have one match weeks. I think believe K- Kentucky only played one match this past week, uh, so there's a little bit unbalanced where most conferences play two matches, but the SEC only plays one. So Arkansas ten and one, Kentucky nine and one, Tennessee's nine and two, and then oh excuse me, Auburn and Florida both have four losses there, so they're a couple of games back. <laughs>
0: So the, the big win on Sunday and in, in the SEC, Arkansas went to Gainesville and swept Florida on the road. And you know, Lincoln, I, I might, I have a wandering eye when it comes to volleyball. <laughs> I might be switching my non-conference allegiance, uh, away from Georgia Tech, who's still having a fine, fine season, but Arkansas really catches your eye. Um, they have, they are one of the smaller teams in the country today against Florida. They had three players with at least 10 kills. None of those three players are even six foot tall. Their outside hitters go like five, nine and five eleven. It's kind of a throwback old school volleyball team where, you know, your outsides had to play six rotations. And so maybe they weren't that tall. But this is this is not a team of giants down there in Fayetteville. Um They are a small team. They are an aggressive team. They sweep Florida in Gainesville. And right now they're neck and neck with Kentucky for the SEC championship.
1: Yeah, they I mean they have three losses. Two of them came to Wisconsin early in the season. They lost to Kentucky's their only conference
0: mm-hmm. loss too. And and they and they pushed Wisconsin to five too.
1: Yeah, they and they were up thirteen to twelve on that fifth set before Wisconsin scored the last three points to win it. I I that was the same night as volleyball uh night in America. I was up in the I remember volleyball night in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh but I was up in the football press box writing my story and I had that up on the iPad, like, Oh, is this gonna just how how much will Nebraska fans be celebrating if Wisconsin loses? But uh, the, the mm-hmm. Badgers pulled it pulled that one out. But the Hogs game him uh, game a game push.
0: All right, it's time to talk about mess. You want to talk about mess? Mess this weekend is Pac-12 volleyball. Um, we have this kind of written down in, in in chronological order, maybe not order of importance. So let's go to the big story in the Pac-12 on Sunday, right about the time that the NCAA uh, volleyball rankings were released that put Stanford number three in the country. Stanford was getting whooped by Arizona State. ASU sweep Stanford 25-16, 25-21, and the clincher in game three, 25-14, this was not close. Lincoln, what no. happened to Stanford today?
1: They just had no answers for what Arizona state was doing. I kind of, I was watching some other, th- other sports. I went to the Nebraska soccer, uh, sporting, mm-hmm. uh, their, their big 10 tournament, so I watched that but fought I out yet, by yeah, the way, I, I was, it, it, wasn't that warmers. Bad. it wasn't that bad. I bundled up. I spent a lot of time in the cold this weekend. Uh, okay. but ASU, ASU kind of, I watched, so I watched some of that third set and they, they were just more aggressive. They were swinging, uh, the Sun Devils hit 311 against Stanford and, uh, Stanford hit a season low 194. So it just mm-hmm. things were just out of sync. They just, I don't know if they didn't have the same fire. or just were just kind of demoralized. But what Arizona State was doing against, I mean, Katie Barrett had led them with 12 mm-hmm. kills and, uh, and Arizona State would just. Only had nine hitting errors against
0: against the Stanford team. That's one of the best blocking teams in the country yeah. to, to go through three sets with just nine hitting errors is remarkable for Arizona state. So that's a huge win for them. Yeah. Marta Levinska led the way with a double, double 17 kills, 12 digs. And, um, you know, Stanford still has a cushion. They still have a two game lead in the pack 12, but whatever aura of invincibility Stanford might've had in the pack 12 has now been punctured by the sun devils. Uh, another big upset, um, on Sunday afternoon, Oregon State knocks off number six, Washington State, who has had a rough couple of weeks, it seems like first they lose to Oregon and then they lose to Oregon State 1513 in the fifth. The Beavers hit 225. They get 18 kills from Peyton Seuss. Is that I don't know if that's how you say that S will go with ESS. It. If it's like the doctor, I would assume that it's correct. And um, yeah, rough weekend for for the Cougars. They lose to Washington or they lose to Oregon on Friday night, I believe, and then turn around and lose to uh, Oregon State on Sunday. Yeah, it's rough, rough between them and BYU. Just not a good weekend for Cougars at all. <laughs> I watched the uh the end of that Oregon Washington State match. Washington State had beaten Oregon in four earlier in the year. Oregon turns the tables on them. Both teams won on the other team's home court, and it looked like Washington State was going to fourth a fifth set. They were actually led game four twenty three twenty before Oregon went on a five oh run to end the match and and steal it in four. So um Oregon's right there with Washington State. Stanford still has a two game lead in the Pac twelve, um, and is probably gonna win the last Pac twelve title.
1: Well and also Arizona Arizona State and Oregon are actually the two teams that are tied for uh second place with three losses. Stanford just has one and then Washington State has four conference losses now uh in, in the pac twelve too. So a lot of uh a, a lot of discombobulation, but it probably is gonna mm-hmm. be Stanford in the, at the end of the, the end of the day. So uh we've got some other smaller conferences where I won't go that deep into them, but just wanna make some note of some other teams that get some get postseason teams. Uh, the American conference, a couple of teams that Nebraska is very familiar with SMU who, uh, Nebraska beat in the, uh, one of the first couple opening weekends, uh, they lead the league of the American they're 12 and one. So they've made their way kind of had their way through conference, uh, one and a half games back, Wichita state who Nebraska played in their spring exhibition, they're 10 and two, uh, they've already played. So they split the season series. That's SMU's lone conference loss is to Wichita state. So, um, couple teams. I mean, that's helping Nebraska's Mm -hmm. RPI with that SMU win and uh, SMU continues to do well in their conference.
0: In the Big East, Marquette is eleven and one. They have beaten Creighton uh, already in a pivotal match. Those teams will play again, but Creighton and Saint John's are tied for second uh, in the Big East, so that conference is still to be decided. Yeah, uh, you want to add something on that? Well,
1: Saint John's beat Marquette. They give Marquette their only win, and Saint John's also beat Creighton, so they're kind of an upstart team. I'm really surprised by what the uh, what the Red Storm has been able to do.
0: Yeah, volleyball has found its way to Queens. Can you believe yeah. that? In the Big West, UC Santa Barbara uh, in the rankings for the first time since 2005. This used to be a power program. Uh, they lost its first match, um, lost in, in five to uh, UC, or, or excuse me, lost to UC Irvine, who's only 7 and 15 on the year. So the Ant Eaters get a scalp with uh, UC Santa Barbara, but Santa Barbara still leads the Big West. They're a game up on uh, Long Beach State, coached by former Husker assistant Tyler Hildebrand, and perennial power Hawaii. So that's another um, conference match that's going to come right down to the
1: yeah, and they and Santa Barbara still plays both those teams coming up in their conference too. So uh, that's kind of a look around the nation, some other conferences. But uh, we want to hit at some other teams in Nebraska that are doing well too. You mentioned uh, Creighton; they're 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 sitting well in the Big East. So uh, they host that that big showdown with Marquette's coming up too. So they're one of uh, we, we said there's six teams that could win conference. There are
0: six teams in the state of Nebraska when we go. We'll go through them all here in a second, but division one, division two, NAIA that could win their conference championships in the last month here. Um Creighton's has swept seven in a row, so congrats to them. They have put it back together. Nora Sis is back, um, came back last week, so they're in her second weekend with her and and they're on Sunday, November 5th is going to be when uh, Creighton hosts Marquette. So this coming weekend, UNO is tied for first in the Summit League. They are nine and three. They did lose on Saturday to North Dakota State, but they play Denver, who they're tied uh, atop the Summit League with next week. Um, You look down at Division Two, number one, Wayne State continues to be on a roll. They're undefeated, 14 and 0 in their conference play, the Northern Sun Intercollegiate uh Conference. They have a big match coming up on Tuesday. They're going to host number six, Southwest Minnesota State. So good luck to Scott Kneifel and the Wayne State Wildcats. Um, just down the road, UNK is tied for second in their conference, the MIAA. They're 13 and three, a game behind central Missouri, and they'll have a chance to, um, to climb up in the standings because they play central Missouri to end the regular season on November 11th. Unless you think that we're going to go through this whole spiel without talking about the naia concordia which used to be uh, number one earlier in the season in naia before they dropped a couple matches um, they're still tied for first in the gpac standings the great plains athletic conference the regular season for them actually ends this week and then they'll play in a conference tournament so yep. that's six nebraska teams that could conceivably win their conference uh, championships this season Uh, Some good roundup there across the nation. Uh, Where we teased this a little bit earlier, we're going to move on to rotation
1: five, talk about the NCAA selection committees, uh, release their second one, uh they released their first one about a month ago in September uh those were rendered pretty irrelevant. they have i think they had dead they minnesota number 10 in that in that first one so uh but this is
0: this is basically like the 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 football playoff committee releasing their rankings every yeah. once in a while cuz for all intents and purposes what they're doing when they release these top 10 teams are like these are the top 10 seeds if we were seeding the tournament today right yeah
1: yes correct yeah so we'll run through there very quickly and kind of dive in some notes so number again no surprise nebraska's number one 21-0 stanford number two uh, at 18-2 ahead of uh, wisconsin even though stanford and most of the voting polls uh is number is, is flipped away around so number three is wisconsin four is louisville five is washington state six is oregon seven is texas Pittsburgh, Arkansas and Tennessee. All right. So teams we've all talked about you are familiar with mm-hmm. uh, the one note that I kind of make. So if these if the season ended today, which it doesn't and going off of these standings, Nebraska would host a regional and Pittsburgh and Arkansas and whomever the 16 seed would be would be the four teams co- that would be slotted to come to Lincoln, Nebraska for those mm-hmm.
0: regionals. You know, one thing I I heard on a different show this week, if you looked at the RPI and you could kind of start taking a guess at who that 16 seed might be, if they win the Big East, it could be Creighton. And Creighton and Nebraska have never met in the postseason in the NCAA tournament. And how interesting would that be if Creighton gets to host maybe that opening round regional, they make it to the Sweet 16, they get to come to Lincoln with, you know, Pittsburgh and Arkansas, a couple SEC teams. That's super interesting. That Those stories all just kind of write themselves.
1: I'll be surprised. Unless Creighton loses, I think that Creighton's going to keep rising up. I have them kind of as a lower double-digit seed. Like, I think I have them ranked 12th, but I don't seed the tournament. Mm -hmm. So I think that Creighton... I mean, that that would be fun. Great storyline. Sometimes I feel like the NCAA leans into some of the storylines so mm-hmm. um,
0: and two of those top five teams stanford and washington state both lost this afternoon right after the rankings came out so if you're wondering what stanford's doing ranked number two um those rankings came out like 15 minutes before the end of the of the stanford arizona state match any yeah. of this stuff surprise mm-hmm. you at all i think yeah. i'm kind of surprised to see so many sec teams um yeah. both arkansas and tennessee in the top 10
1: but i think that they the sec teams i mean. Save Kentucky really had good non-conference seasons that took care of business where they needed to, and put it, put together some good resumes. Uh, I did see um, there was an interview with the committee chair on the NCAA volleyball Twitter's account uh, that interviewed the uh, the committee chair Holly Strauss O'Brien, um, and the one thing that they, I mean they said the hardest conversation they had was Stanford and Wisconsin. Really, they should have just waited a couple more hours and it would have been a lot easier, but they put Stanford above. But they Wisconsin. had to fit a TV window. Yeah. They had, they did, they did it in between, uh, one of the matches on ESPN, but they gave Stanford the nod because Stanford has 12 wins against 50, uh, teams in the top 50 of the RPI and Wisconsin only has eight. So, uh, that was their rationale and what kind of was the tiebreaker between their two. Um, and they, I think they valued they valued wins, good wins more so than losses too. So um uh, they really like their resume and I think that's why Nebraska is gonna be hard to be knocked out of that top four, because Nebraska has a great resume no matter what happens the rest of the uh final month of the season. Um but yeah, I mean, we so- should we
0: should get Holly Strauss O'Brien on the show. Uh I wonder if she would do it, if she's, you know, can do interviews with people other than NCAA dot com. We'd love to have someone on to talk about uh how the post-seating seedings fell where they did after the, the brackets come out.
1: We'll see how much pull we have. But uh, the other thing she said, is Texas leads leads the country in a lot of the metrics, strength of schedule. Um, statistically, they're up there too, but they don't have any top RPI wins. That's where the Big 12 kind of hurts them a little bit. And they didn't... They had a couple good non-conference matches but they lost several of those so that's what hurt why texas is all the way down at number seven uh same thing for pitt pitt has a great record um but just do, don't have any top tier wins so um that's mm-hmm. kind of what her explanation was too uh, but again this was rendered useless in 30 minutes or less and mm-hmm. a lot of things are going to change but it, it is kind of good to hear from them and see what they value and where things stack up and what kind of what teams have worked left to do over the final month
0: do you know? Are they releasing these again um, before the end of the regular season? This isn't something I, they're going to do weekly, is it? Otherwise, we're just it. like keeping our eye on Rich Kern rankings and Pablo and and RPI and arguing yeah. over who should be better, who should be seated higher.
1: Yeah, I I doubt they do because there's only a month left. I mean, we'll, we'll hear from them uh, on November 26th. I think I believe it is. Uh, so. Less than a month away from actually doing that. So uh since this is kind of our wild card rotation, I'll just throw this out there real quick because it's breaking news on Sunday night. So hopefully everyone knows this by Monday morning. But Abigail Mullen, one of the top recruits left out there for the 2025 cycle, she committed to USC on Sunday night, uh, with a lot of lot of layers to this month. One, her sister is a freshman setter at UCLA. So you got the USC UCLA rivalry. They'll play each other as members of the Big Ten, as I'm sure everyone imagined that they would. Famous um, also, Big Ten rival.
0: USC and UCLA
1: and her club teammate Reese Messer also from the Kansas City metro area is the number two set number two player, according to prepvolleyball.com, also committed to USC. So they're just loading up there. Uh, And she's also, Abigail Mullen, uh, is also club teammates with the Nebraska 2024 commit Skylar Pierce. So just a lot of layers. Uh, Nebraska was in early conversations, but I don't think that things got very far. I think other teams that were in the running were Stanford. and I've heard Minnesota as well, too. But USC, big winner in the recruiting trail. So. Some late news for you on that, but we will close this up by going to rotation six preview of the week ahead.
0: That's right. Huskers have the rematch on Friday night at Penn State, 730 on Big Ten Network. Uh, Huskers are also going to play Rutgers next weekend at noon on BTN. Plus, um, of course, let's let's focus on the, the Nittany Lions here. Nebraska is looking for the season sweep of Penn State. Um, Nebraska handled things pretty easily in Lincoln, sweeping the Nittany Lions a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Jess Marizik, uh Penn State's outside hitter, had 12 kills, but. Also eight errors hit 073. Nebraska really locked Penn state up, um, defensively. They did get out blocked by the Ninny lions, but, um, Nebraska was able to hold off Penn state, uh, fairly easily. And that one, um, Merritt Beeson and Lindsey Krausey both had 13 kills in the first meeting. And so Nebraska now has to go out to happy Valley without the services of Lindsey Krausey. She's not going to be back. It sounds like by, uh, by this week. So all eyes are going to be on Allie Baton horse to see if she's going to be able to give Nebraska another presence on the left. Uh, um, Harper Murray had 10 kills in that first meeting as well. Things you're looking at Lincoln for the rematch of Nebraska Penn state this Friday night.
1: Yeah. And just so Penn state's usually there is a pretty intimidating environment too. I remember they did kind of a preseason uh, big time media days of asking all the players what their most, uh, intimidating student environment is, but Penn state usually ranks pretty high. They got the students that are right next to the court that talk to the players. Usually the men's volleyball team shows up and does some trash talking. So it's a different environment than what they may see usually, but it's a pretty, pretty fun. They've only lost once at home this year, and that was to Purdue. Um And they also bring a pretty big block too. You know, I mean, they're one, one dimensional offensively, but they're pretty, pretty good uh at the net too. So, but, Penn State, a little bit of a struggle as of the last couple of weeks too. Uh, They did lose to Purdue at home. Um, They've dropped a set to Michigan, and like we talked about earlier, they lost three two to Michigan State. So I don't know they'll have have the week to to iron out some of those kinks and figure out what's going wrong. But uh, they should be a, a pretty imposing
0: challenge. I've watched a couple Penn State matches on Big Ten Network this year. It feels like Rec Hall is not bringing like the ravenous crowd. This year it it just seems a little More subdued and maybe that's because Penn State struggled a bit uh, this year You know as you Mm -hmm. mentioned they lost at home to Purdue losing in five at Michigan State which is improving but is you know Probably not going to make the tournament this Year Um, I I would Expect Nebraska to you know They don't put out odds or favorites in Volleyball Nebraska is favored in this Match and they're probably gonna be favored in every Match they play for the rest of the year except for When they go out to Wisconsin um, At the end of the regular season but Nebraska is going to have to serve tough. Um, Nebraska has at times this year run into teams that can put them on their heels blocking. Did you know Penn State actually averages more blocks per set than Wisconsin does? They're fourth in the country, just shy of 3% at 2.93%. Um, Ali Holland had seven blocks the first time that Penn State uh, played Nebraska. So if it's one thing to look out for, if Nebraska kind of hits into the block early, like they did against Wisconsin, it can put them on their heels and it can lead to some struggles. So Nebraska is going to have to have their passing on point. Bergen Riley is going to have to play a good match and Nebraska is going to have to you know, run a faster offense to not let Penn state set up that double block, or at least just find some ways to tough it out and tool the block. Merritt Beeson's been really good at that, but even she's had some struggles against uh, some of the bigger blocks in the conference. So that's on Friday night, Sunday at noon on BTN plus the rest goes out to Rutgers. Um, so that's that's a win. I, I'm just going to go ahead and say yeah. I'm going to chalk that one up as a Nebraska win.
1: Yeah, and I think what we t- Cook talked about, I mean, Rutgers did a few things they weren't expecting. And uh, their first time they played against, uh, they hit a little more from the back row and just kind of ran some different looks. Uh, Nebraska now has the full scout. They will be able to put this on lockdown. And I think I fully expect it to be a little more lopsided than the first one. There will be no 2020 tie in, in that set. So um, again, but it's the big Nebraska. So if Nebraska
0: drops one against Penn State next weekend, that makes the Big Ten title race very interesting because Nebraska and Wisconsin will most likely be tied uh, going into the final month of the regular season. If the Huskers do beat Penn State and Rutgers, they would be 23 and 0, which ties the best start. um That this program would have had since 2006, we will remind you that only one Nebraska team in school history has ever gone undefeated through the entire year. It was John Cook's first season as head coach in 2000 when Nebraska won the national championship. Yep. Lincoln, you got anything interesting that you're working on uh, that the folks could read this week?
1: Well, I'm trying to work on a magazine feature about the uh, Wisconsin match too. So that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks in our magazine. So, uh, but yeah, no, just staying with the grind, grinding away Big Ten season, uh, working on a couple of big projects. Hopefully that will be out, uh, in time for the postseason as well too. So looking through, uh, doing some, maybe some, doing some FOIA requests. We'll see what
0: that's about. Are both of those for going to be on Huskers illustrated or where are those at?
1: I believe so. Well, we'll see. We'll figure it out. I'll let you know when they get, you're going to
0: shop it to the highest bidder. Yeah. Well, Everyone we'll start DMing it. Lincoln to make offers on his volleyball stuff. Why not? Uh, you can find our show on social media at volleyball pod. We're really only on Twitter, but who knows? Maybe we'll branch out into some other social medias. If we have some time, um, you can email the show volleyballstate at gmail dot com. You can find me on social media. I'm at Twitter uh, at by Jeff Sheldon, Lincoln, is on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. And you're on some other platforms. I'm on now, threads
1: apparently. too. I, I'm, I'm breaking all sorts of ground on threads at Lincoln A underscore V B on thread. So for the my 40 followers there, we're really <laughs> breaking threads. So you can uh, again listen to us thanks to Podcast House Media. They're the, help support the platform that that allows you to listen to us. You can find more great podcasts at podcasthousemedia.com Thank you for listening and keep living in the volleyball state.